0: So grateful to you that because of your son, we have the hope of a resurrection, Uh, The death is not final for us. God, we pray that you would encourage us with that truth even in this world that is so discouraging. God, we pray now as we get into your word that you would work through your spirit in our hearts to change where we need to be changed. God we thank you so much for your word the histories that we have the accounts that we learn from God use it today we pray it in Jesus name amen well good morning everyone it's um, it's exciting for me to be up here um, again uh, so often it's um, it's kind of sad for me not to to see your faces so often. I only work part- time and so um, Sometimes I, I forget that my life is more than just planning events. <laughs> you know, it's, it's good that you guys can have fun. But also, like, this is, a, this is a ministry where we're trying to build you up spiritually. And I love to be able to, to do that uh, with you, um, for you. Um, so today, we're going to be continuing on with the last words series. I don't really, I didn't really want to leave off where Paul introduced it. And then he knew he was going to have to be gone because of um, doing some fundraising. But... Um, I'm, I'm excited to be able to continue on with this series. Uh, last week we talked about Moses, if you remember. And this week we're going to be talking about Moses' protege, his, uh, the guy that came after him, Joshua. But before we get into it, I really want to spend a little bit of time thinking about our choices. There it is. I want to spend some time thinking about our choices. Um, most of our choices in life are fairly inconsequential. Uh, it's going to be what we're going to wear or what we're going to eat. Um, whether we're going to go to bed at a decent time or we're going to just let Netflix keep playing, one more episode, just one more, or we're going to do one more round of Smash Bros or something like that. Uh, these are fairly inconsequential questions, but there's one, um, one thing that's not uh, uncertain is that after a night like that, um, you're going to need caffeine. <laughs> um, but coffee is not necessarily a good you know, substitute for sleep. Um, believe me, I do that all too often. Um, I'm in school too. Um, i I regularly find myself having to um I'm just going to get it. It was really distracting for everybody, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it rolled by, and I tried really hard not to, not to stop, but I had to oh man, what does that say about me? I'm like a squirrel. <laughs> all right. <laughs> what'd you say? Or a servant, okay, that's a good way to, that's a good way to pose that. All right, um, I often stay up way too late. Just because I'm a, a husband and a dad doesn't mean I don't make bad decisions, okay? I make bad choices. Um, but other choices that we have to make in our lives are m- more important. What college we're gonna go to, what career we're gonna pursue, or who you're gonna marry. Um, so as we consider the last words of Joshua to the nation of Israel, remember Each of our days are filled with choices. To one degree or another, our lives are shaped by the choices that we make. So let's look at Joshua 24 together. If you have your Bibles, open up to Joshua chapter 24 as we consider his last words and how they can affect our lives here today. So the people in the Bible had roughly the same decisions that they had to make, though they were maybe a little bit different um, in... Uh, how, like what their decisions were. They still had to make daily decisions. Um, And as we'll discover this morning, there was one really important choice that they had to make that we also have to make. Would they obey the Lord? Would they obey God? Or would they go their own way? Would they pursue their own course? Or would they obey God? I want to start by reading the pivotal verses of the passage, the passage. So we're not going to start in verse 1. We're actually going to start in verse 14. Uh, because before we cover these first 13 verses, I want to catch this, uh, the important section here. And then we'll go back over verses 1 through 13. But Joshua 24 verses 14 through 15 says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if there is evil in your eyes to serve or if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers uh, served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was Moses' protege and he was a faithful follower of the Lord. And a devoted leader of the people of God. Moses commissioned Joshua to be the next leader in Deuteronomy 31. The chapter right before what we covered last week. Deuteronomy 32, the song of Moses. And then in Deuteronomy 34, verse 9. Right after the death of Moses, we read. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him. And did as the Lord commanded Moses. Moses' death signaled the end of the punishment to the rebellious previous generation, the generation that was wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their sin. And it was now time for Joshua to lead the new generation into their inheritance, into the promised land. So as we look back at the start, so if you have to flip, I have to flip um, from verse 15 back to the chapter uh, 24, verse 1 through 13, go back uh, to me and, or with me and we're going to Look back at those first 13 verses, and we're going to see God's faithfulness displayed to the nation of Israel. In these few verses, we're going to see kind of the condensed version of Israel's history. Um, This is uh, how God has worked through these people. And um, instead of starting at the beginning of time with Adam, Joshua begins with the beginning of the nation, with Abraham. Abraham. And in Joshua 24.3, it says that God called Abraham from his land and his family to a new land, one that he had set apart. Where he had previously served other gods in that other land, he's going to be fully devoted to Yahweh, to the God of Israel. He pulled him away from that. And in Hebrews, we read that, um, that Abraham was saved not because of what he did, but he was saved because of the faith that he had in God's promises. And though Abraham didn't know when Yahweh called him, he didn't know him personally, he had faith. He chose to obey. And the writer of Hebrews even says that even though Abraham was basically dead and Sarah was beyond childbearing days, that he was going to raise a great nation out of Abraham. And he did. He kept his promises to the chosen people and he provided Isaac I don't know if the batteries are dying on this thing or what, but he provided Isaac, who is the only son Abraham and Sarah had in their old age. He was unique. The son that God had promised would come. It took time, and Abraham and Sarah really struggled through whether they were going to obey or not. And in in their disobedience, God still remained faithful and gave them their son. And then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, two of probably the most dysfunctional brothers since Cain and Abel. Uh, Jacob was a deceiver and Esau was hateful. And you can go back to Genesis and read all the problems that they had. But essentially, Esau had to leave the family and he ended up settling south of the promised land, south of Canaan in Edom, is was it, what it became to be called uh, after Esau. And his lineage was called the Edomites through the rest of Scripture. So if you see in Scripture Israel fighting with the Edomites, that's their cousins. They were fighting with family. Because there was such tumult between these two brothers. And ultimately we know Jacob who was renamed Israel and his family, they made it down to Egypt so that they could be saved through the drought because of Joseph ruling in Egypt at that time. And God continued to grow and prosper them in that time there. Then 400 years after Israel went to Egypt the Egyptians realized that they had to enslave Israel. Israel had grown too uh, powerful, so they had to kind of put them under their thumb so that they didn't rebel against them and try and take over their land. So Israel was captive and abused underneath of the Egyptians. And in order to bring God out, God sent Moses. Moses was supposed to bring them into the promised land, and so God, uh, to bring them out, had to show his dominance over the greatest nation that the world had ever seen to that point. He asserted his dominance by the ten plagues. And even after the ten plagues, Egypt was begging them to leave, but the Pharaoh had a change of heart and he decided he was going to follow them and try and get them back. But God decided that he was going to destroy all of Egypt's army in the process. God has provided and he has remained faithful even though Israel at times was unfaithful. And now he was going to uh, use Joshua to bring the people into the promised land to take possession of it. God is faithful. And all of the nations, as, they can, as we continue to look down through these first 13 verses, all of the nations and armies that they encountered uh, during the conquest of lo- their land were overtaken because of God, not because of what they were doing. And even in verses 9 and 10, we see an attempt to curse the nation of Israel by one of the, the rival kings And instead, it's turned into blessing. So God even used a false prophet to bring blessing on the nation of Israel. They destroyed the most fortified cities. How? Not because of their strength. Only because of God. So let's go back through. Now that we've kind of recapped it, let's go back through and look at all of the the reason. We know what it is, but let's just see how many times it's brought up. Verse 3, it says, This is we're recapping God's faithfulness to Israel, right? This is we only know that this is happening because of God. Verse 3, it says, I took your father Abraham. I gave him Isaac. I sent Moses and Aaron. I brought your fathers out. Your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, the ten plagues. I brought you into the land. I gave them into your hand. I would not listen to Balaam. I delivered you. I gave them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, the terror. I gave you the land. Who was it? Not Israel. It was God. So the Lord through Joshua is making it abundantly clear who's responsible for Israel's success. Verse 13 says, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. They went into a land that was ready to be lived in. Israel had to do no work. All they had to do was be faithful and obedient to God. God was reminding them, preventing them from feeling boastful, that they did this on their own, that they were the ones that captured this land and that all of these things were because of them. He's causing them to see why he is the only God worth serving. Joshua, um, in this next passage, or this next section of the passage, verses 14 and 15, which we already read, is going to call the people to faithfulness. So we're, we're reminded through verses 1 through 13 all of the things that God has done. And not Israel, but God alone. And in verse 14, Joshua says, okay, now it's time for a verdict. You've seen it all. You've seen what God has done. Now, as we read verses 14 through 15 at the beginning, it says, put away the gods your fathers served uh, beyond the river and in Egypt. And then again it says, um, uh, just shortly after the beginning of verse 15, choose this day whom you will serve. He says, you've seen it all. You have all the information. Abraham served false gods. You guys served false gods coming out of Egypt. And now you've seen what God has done. Now you choose. Who are you going to serve? The answer seems fairly obvious to us because we know we know, we have all of the scriptures. We've seen it. And they even saw it with their own eyes. So it seems like a fairly um, obvious answer. But Joshua wanted to leave them with absolutely no doubt who they should be following. Not necessarily who they're going to ultimately, but who they should be following, what the answer really should be. Verse 14 opens up with several theologically uh, dense, very heavy words. Um, Joshua uh, commands the people to fear the Lord. So generally we think of this as we're revering the Lord. Um, We're holding him at the highest esteem. It's not just emotional fear. It's not just cowering away in terror, though that is That is present, and we see that whenever the Lord appears to someone in Scripture, they fear for their lives because they know that they should not stand before a holy God. So fear, the emotion, is necessary. It's part of it, but it's also more. It has to do with the respect and honor that we give to God. The people were to honor the Lord. Next, we see that the that Joshua commands the people to serve God. It's generally connected to worship. All throughout the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is described as serving the Lord. This wasn't just the act or the physical mechanics of worship, the sacrificial system. This is their whole lives. For all of Israel, not just the priests, not the Levites, all of Israel was to serve God and be wholly devoted. New Testament believers were often called slaves of Christ or servants of Christ. In Romans 6, it says that we can either serve God, we can serve Christ, we can be slaves to Christ, or we can serve our sin. So it has to do with our allegiance and obedience to God or our obedience to sin. Joshua is passionately urging the people to obey and remain faithful to the Lord his last uh, commandment in these or command in these uh, couple of verses is to put away the false gods that the fathers had previously served. And he mentions the two sets of false gods that they had served. We have the gods that Abraham formerly served and that he left, but then we also have the gods of Egypt that we've seen in this passage as well that they were they were dealing with and that's why they ended up wandering the wilderness for 40 years and all their parents died because they decided to serve another god not Yahweh. And then we have a third um, set of uh, idols that these people are uh, giving into, which is um, the idolatry of the Amorites, which basically we, um, it was the people that they were trying to take over their land. And so we see that these people have already um, started to kind of fall back into that. Even this present generation was falling back into their parents' old ways. But idolatry has always prevailed throughout Israel's history. But Joshua is calling them to end the cycle. In verse 15, he gives them the choice. He says, choose who you're going to serve. The choice is between those other gods that your fathers have previously served. This active idolatry that you're already, already getting into even though you're watching. Literally watching God do all of these things for you. Or you can serve God. But they knew that God had been faithful. uh, Joshua just went through it all. They had seen it with their own eyes. They knew what the answer was. But nevertheless, Joshua is calling them back to obedience. Not just obedience, but immediate obedience. Choose this day, today, now, you choose. Who are you going to serve? The choice was theirs. Joshua makes it clear that no matter what they did, he was going to serve the Lord. I don't care what you all do, me and my house, my family, we will serve the Lord. And that has to be true of us as well. No matter what happens, no matter who falls away, if your parents, your best friend, your girlfriend, your spouse in the future, a pastor, a major leader that you really like, if they fall away, you have to be willing to stand. You have to remember God's faithfulness to you and your own lives. And be able to stand confidently that you believe it. That he saved you and he continues to keep you. We're called to be faithful to God, even if we're all alone. And so in this last section of the the passage that we're going to see in Joshua 24, we're going to see the people's response. How do they respond to what Joshua is saying? They they have the the choice before them. What are they going to do? The people are going to respond in faithfulness. So let's look uh, back at this. The people respond to Joshua's question. How are they going to choose? Uh, in the past, they had, their parents had chosen to rebel against God. But now, uh, they had the choice. Are they going to continue to do that? What is this gonna, generation going to do? Joshua said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow the Lord. Now you guys, because Joshua is ultimately about to die. That's why we're talking about his last words. Joshua was going to die. He said, I'm passing this on to my family to continue on in faithfulness. What are you guys going to do? How is this generation going to continue? At the end of verse 18, it says, the people respond and it says, Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. The people chose the right course. They made the right choice. But it it seems kind of weird if you're looking past verses 19 and 20, or if you're familiar with this passage, Joshua's response seems a little strange um, because his, his answer in verse 19 is, you're not able to serve the Lord for he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm to you and consume you after having done good to you. God's been good to you. But if you turn and you follow those, those wicked idols, he's gonna pass judgment on you. He's not going to forgive your sins. Remember last week, Paul talked about Moses' song. And basically Moses was saying that Israel was going to fall short and they were going to rebel against God. That's what Joshua is parroting. He's saying, you guys are going to fail. They've never been capable of true obedience. They always fail. We even see that with Jacob who's been saved from his family. He ends up in his, his uh father-in-law's house for a bunch of years and there's still idolatry going on. God's provided for him and built him up. Still idolatry. The people come out of Egypt. They worship a golden calf. Still idolatry. This People has never been capable. It seems kind of troubling at the end where it says that God won't forgive their sins. It seems troubling to us because we believe that God does forgive our sins. Even if we continue to sin against God, he still forgives us. But verse 20 kind of explains that only if, which really means when, they fail and they choose to rebel against God, he would punish them in this way and he would not forgive them. He would, he would exact his true justice because they were worthy of justice. These people, it's not just that they had failed one time, was that there was, this was a willful rebellion, they were pushing against God. So when they came to that willful rebellion where they forsook God and said, we're going to follow other gods or we're going to go our own way, that willful rebellion is what Joshua is talking about, God's judgment. But that's not something that applies to us believers, true believers today. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He's righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So where God is righteous, we are unrighteous sinners. He chose to forgive us through Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So if that's what our hope is in, we don't have to worry about not being forgiven. We can repent and and come back to God and he will forgive us. But nevertheless, these people, uh, though they probably had a future of rebellion coming, they chose to stick with their answer. Yes, I'm sure that that's when I, I want to lock it in. They chose to obey and serve God alone. So Joshua makes a covenant with the people. Ultimately, um, these proceedings at the, the last couple verses here before Joshua's death is um, pretty much a, a formal and binding act. He writes it down. Joshua writes it down this covenant, is sealed with a stone being raised up so that the, the people that go on beyond them, their children and their children's children, would be able to look back and say, our fathers chose to obey God. But we know the end of the story. Um... Unfortunately, verse verse 31, not unfortunately for this part, but later, it says, uh, verse 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had known the works that the Lord had done for Israel. But we know the end of the story. We see judges. You know, my Bible doesn't have anything in between. I've got Joshua, and then the next page is Judges. And in Judges 2.11, we see the first account of this Often repeated phrase that the people of Israel did what was right in their own eyes. It only took a few years, just a short period of time where they had so vehemently affirmed, they stood and they said, We will serve the Lord. He is our God, and Him alone we will serve. Just a few years later, when those people had passed away, the rest of Israel returned to that cycle of rebellion. We've seen it from the beginning. They continued to be faithless in this. Sorry, there's Joshua 24, 31, if if you didn't have your Bibles. Their devotion to the Lord didn't last very long. But what about us? As we consider how does this passage affect us, how do we make choices to be faithful to God? How do we choose to be faithful to God in our, our life? What things can we learn from this passage as an encouragement and what they, that generation did, and also an exhortation for what we see in the rest of the Old Testament Israel doing. What can we learn? So I want to leave you guys with three commitments to faithfulness that are going to help us per- persevere to the end. Continue on with our faithfulness. The first commitment is a commitment to individual faithfulness. We have to be personally committed to God in order to be faithful to God. In order to do that, you have to be truly saved. Your faith for what, what your eternity will be like has to be in Jesus' work alone. That he came, lived a perfect life that we can't do, died on the cross, bearing our sins. All of the sins that we, that we have to, uh, that we do and then have to confess were already paid for. So if you believe in him bearing your sins, dying and then raising three days and sitting at the hand of the Father right now, if that's what your faith is in, you're gonna be able to stand in faithfulness. But if you're not really doing that for that reason or if you're kind of doing this because your parents want you to or your boyfriend or girlfriend wants you to come to church with them, if that's the reason that you're doing these things, what's gonna happen when things get tough? What's gonna happen when God fails you where he does something that you didn't expect or you didn't want? What happens when the going gets tough? What are you gonna do? What's your faith in? If everyone that you love were to abandon the faith, would you give in with them? Would you go away? Think seriously about this. I, I had to think about that. <laughs> I had to sit while I was preparing this and search my own heart. It's really easy to say, no, I wouldn't give up because I don't think that any of those people are gonna, are gonna fall away. But what happens if they do? Is it gonna shake your faith in a way that you'll just walk away, give away all of this faithfulness that God has been showing to you, his steadfast love, you have to be willing to stand alone. But remember, when we stand alone for God, we're standing with God. There's no better place to be. There's no safer place to be than standing alone with God. But the second commitment, thankfully we don't have to do it all on our own. It's a corporate faithfulness. Yes, we have to be willing to stand alone. We have to be able to to make that stand if we're the only ones that are willing to. But we have each other. We have the church. We can encourage one another and exhort one another. We lift each other up when we're down or when we fail or when we question. Guys, it's not wrong to question. It's not wrong to fail. We fail every day. I question. I wonder What am I doing all this for? Going to school full-time. I work part-time. My wife works part-time. I don't see my family a lot. Why am I doing that? To work a job that's not going to pay me very much? What's the point? I could just get another job and make more money and not have to go to church on Sundays. But (laughs) it's not why I'm doing this. I don't do it because of my wife, though she helps me. I don't do it because... I love studying the Bible, though it, it helps me. I do it because I have faith that God is true, that he loves me, and that he sent his son for my, to die on, my, on the cross for my sins. So we all have those concerns. We all have those considerations that we have to think through. But we have each other. Talk about it. Go to somebody. Come to me or Paul for a few months or Liz or Nate, Courtney Go to a a brother or sister, somebody that you know, somebody out there, an adult that's been through this, that's asked questions, that's had a hard time. Use each other. That's what the church is for. But being a part of the church is also uncomfortable sometimes. That means when you when you open yourself up to community, when you choose to go to somebody and say, hey, I'm struggling. You're letting them into your life. You're letting them into your heart and the things that you do that are failures. You're letting them that, them into that part of your life. And when they see you fail, hopefully they'll call you out. They'll say, hey, that's sin, what you just said right there. Or that's gossip, what you're doing right there. It hurts. Nobody likes to be called out. Nobody wants to have someone telling them that they're sinning but it's good because that's what helps us to grow. Iron sharpens iron, and that's what makes us stronger. We have to shave away a little bit of our, our, ourselves, the bad parts. We're shaving that stuff away so that we can continue to grow. And then the last thing, the last commitment that we have is to continual faithfulness. There's no days off. There's no vacations, no rest. We are always on duty. We're always supposed to be doing this. We're told to be vigilant because our enemy seeks someone to devour. Our enemy is walking around as a roaring lion. He wants you. Maybe you're not a believer, and he wants to convince you that this is all bogus. He wants to convince you that this is a waste of your time. That's what he's trying to do. Or if you are a true believer, he's trying to eliminate you. He wants to take you out. He doesn't want you to be faithful. He wants to trip you up, get you caught in sin. Think about yourself. We always have to be alert. But remember this, that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The roaring lion, Satan, the one who wants to devour us, he's not more powerful than God. He's he's the ruler of this world. He can affect what what goes on outside of you but you are God's. We have God in us. He gives us this power to continue on, to resist, to stand strong, and to be faithful. It's not because we're good enough or we're strong enough. We're clever enough on our own. Not because of those things. It's always because of God. Each one of you and I have our unique story of how God has shown himself to be faithful to us individually. We have our own histories that we can look back on and see God's faithfulness. So when we get caught up, when we start to, to fail, to falter, to question, remember, God has always been faithful. He will always be faithful. He's the one that drew you to himself. He's the one that saved you He's the one that keeps you. You have to choose to be faithful to him. So, who will you serve? It's not just a question that Joshua posed one time in history. We have to ask ourselves that every day. Who will you choose? Will you choose to follow yourself in your own sin, or are you going to choose to follow God who is always faithful? All right, let's pray and then we're gonna break up and discuss this for a few minutes. God, we are so in debt to you that you have, despite our sinfulness, chosen us, broken vessels to be your sons and daughters. You've adopted us into your family. We're yours now. God, help us to be faithful. Help us to choose you each day, to die to ourselves more and more each day so that we're conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to break up into our groups the cards that you got. And go to the number that's on there, um, and then we'll give it probably five or seven minutes, and then the, the band will come up and do our last song. Thanks.